Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, if we haven't met yet, my name is Aaron, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors um, at Exilic. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time today, last week uh, we started a new collection of sermons called Winning Your Thought Wars. And someone came up to me last week and said, what was like the impetus behind uh, this new teaching series? Uh, Well, there are two things. The first is that how you think changes the way that you live. Okay, so if you think differently, you can actually live differently. Can I give you two examples of uh, humorous examples of how this works? So when I was a kid, I don't know if you heard this urban myth, but I heard that you cannot go swimming after you eat right away. You have to wait at least an hour before you swim so you can digest. Otherwise, you're going to vomit. And uh, as someone that has surfed a lot and, and things like that, uh, you, can, you can actually swim right after you eat. In fact, I have eaten while I was swimming. So, but the point is how you think, it impacts how you live. So whether that thing is a truth or a lie or a myth, what you think shapes how you live. Can I give you another example? Urban myth I grew up with. If you sleep with the fan on in your room and close the door, you will suffocate to death. So growing up, I never slept with the fan on in my room. But as you all know, you can leave the fan on in your room and not suffocate to death. But how I thought impacted how I live. And so that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series. How you think shapes how you live. But there's a second reason why we're doing this teaching series and why we've called it Winning Your Thought Wars. And the reason for that is because when it comes to my personal thoughts, I don't know about you, but when it comes to my personal thoughts, oftentimes my thoughts kick my butt. And my thoughts defeat me. My thoughts run wild all over the place. And I don't control my thoughts. My thoughts often control me and they take me to these imaginary places, sometimes that are not healthy, sometimes healthy, but sometimes that are not healthy as well. So what the Apostle Paul would say is that the reason for that is because your mind is a battlefield. And so if you take a look with me at verse 3 and 4, it says this. The Apostle Paul says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, are not the weapons of this world. So here, the Apostle Paul uses warfare language. So he talks about weapons and war and captives. And what's so fascinating about this verse in particular is that he says that the weapons that we use are not the weapons of this world. And the reason why he says that is because the war that we're engaging with is not a physical war. 
so much as it is a spiritual, mental, and emotional war uh, that we engage with. So a few weeks ago, I gave the example uh, from a political scientist at Harvard named Joseph Nye, who in the 1980s famously coined the phrases hard power and soft power. And so what Nye says hard power is, hard power is coercing, impacting, influencing, shaping people through physical intimidation. So guns and tanks and missiles. So think North Korea, Russia, China, hard power. Physical intimidation, coercing people. Nye, however, says a soft power is not influencing and shaping people through physical means, but through ideas and thoughts. And that's how you influence and change people. Now, soft power might not seem as powerful as hard power, but the truth of the matter is soft power, ideas, and thoughts are far more powerful than hard power ever is. I'll give you two reasons why. Number one, unlike hard power, like tanks and guns, soft power has the ability to cross borders, even the most militarized borders, very easily, right? especially because of the internet. So ideas can travel around the world far more easily than hard power can. But there's a second reason, not just its global impact, but the second reason why soft power is so powerful is because it has the ability to hijack our imaginations, hijack our thoughts, and therefore changing the way that we live far more than hard power can. So the cultural examples I gave a few weeks ago was um, the phenomenon and the explosion of Korean culture uh, in our world today as a form of soft power. So via K-pop, K-dramas, uh, when you have black people, Latinos, white people, Asians, all singing dynamite and butter, that is a form of soft power uh, that is taking place. Let me give you another cultural example of soft power, though. Um, next week, there's, I heard there's a game taking place. Fox uh, is asking companies uh, if they want to have a commercial during the Super Bowl. They're asking a record-breaking $7 million for every 30 seconds a commercial is played. So if you do a one-minute commercial, $14 million. Can you imagine what your hourly wage would be if you got $7 million for every 30 seconds? Now, why is Bud Light, Pepsi, and Apple, why are they gladly willing to pay $14 million for just 60 seconds of time? It's because they understand the importance of soft power. They believe they can hijack your thoughts, captivate your imaginations, and get you to purchase their products in just 30, 45, or 60 seconds, just like that, because they understand the nature of soft power. So those are some cultural examples. Now let me give you a biblical example of soft power that I shared a few weeks ago as well. In Genesis 3, a serpent is introduced into the Garden of Eden. Now what is a snake's most powerful weapon? A snake's most powerful weapon is venom, hard power. But what's so fascinating about this story is that here is a snake, and it doesn't utilize its hard power. Instead, it decides to use its soft power. And it plants an idea or a thought into the life of Adam and Eve, and the serpent says to them, did God really say you can't eat of the fruit? And because he plants this thought into their head, he's able to change the way that they think, 
which changes the way that they live, which changes the course of human history as we know it. And in fact, in the following chapter, Paul says this to the Corinthians. In chapter 11, verse 3, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning or soft power, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So here in this Corinthian context, there is a false gospel or false good news or false truth or false hope that are being given by these false teachers or false good news givers that are influencing the minds and thoughts of the people in the Corinthian church, leading them astray from their devotion and commitment to who Jesus is. And so just like in many ways the Corinthians had their thoughts hijacked by this false gospel from the outside or from the inside, I would say that we also have our thoughts hijacked from the outside where our devotion and commitment to Jesus is being led astray. And our false, false gospels might be things like the American dream, that if you get married, have two kids and a dog and a white picket fence house, then that is the only way you're going to be happy. Or another false gospel might be a life of hedonism. That's the only way to be happy. Another false gospel is materialism. If I just have enough stuff, then I'll be happy. Uh, and, and, There's all sorts of false good news that is out in our world given by false teachers that are telling us how, what the good life is all about that lead us astray from our commitment uh, to who Jesus is. And so our minds in many ways really, really is a battlefield where there's thought wars that are taking place all the time. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, uh, the apostle Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Be of sober mind. And so while the devil cannot read your thoughts, he can plant thoughts into your mind. He's a created being, so he can't read your thoughts, but he can put thoughts into your heads and change the way that you think via a form of soft power. And so what do we have to do? We have to demolish these strongholds uh, that have a hold of our lives. So in verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So a stronghold was like a, a citadel or a fortress at the highest point of the city. And I think the reason why Paul uses the language of strongholds is because in the city of Corinth, there actually was a stronghold at the highest point of the city of Corinth called the Acro-Corinth. So we have a picture of that. And so if you go to the city of Corinth, you can still see this to this day. And so there's no doubt that when Paul is thinking about the Corinthians, he's also thinking about the Acro-Corinth at the highest point of the city. Now, if you take down this fortress, you control this citadel or stronghold, you can control the entire city. So this was like a last line of defense. Now, I want you for a moment to think about your bodies. What is the highest point of your body? It's your minds. This this is our acrocorinth. And so this is our last line of defense. And so if someone takes control of our minds, they take control over our lives. 
just like the whole city. And the thing about strongholds is that they can be good in the sense that they can protect people on the inside, like hobbits, but it can be bad because you can also use a stronghold to imprison people inside too. And oftentimes, our negative thoughts are not protecting us from dangerous things, but our negative thoughts are strongholds that put us in a maximum security prison. Instead of being free, we are held hostages by our own thoughts. And because of that, our devotion to Jesus is led astray. Can I give you a few examples of this? So growing up, I grew up in neighborhoods where I was the only person of color usually. And when you experience a lot of racism as a kid, that does something to the way that you think about yourself, right? How you think impacts or shapes how you live. And so when you're hearing a lot of racist stuff all the time, it's hard not to feel or think a sense of shame about who you are, especially when you're bringing like seaweed to school and everyone else is having like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You know, it's like, it's hard not to feel the sense of shame and like, almost a sense of self-hatred at the way that you look. But growing up, there was a new thought pattern emerged. And this new thought pattern was this. If I'm better at everyone else in dodgeball or kickball, everyone's going to like me. And so sports has the ability to transcend race, right? This is why the Olympics is such, so powerful for our global community. And so I thought, okay, if I get better at basketball, people will accept me more. So that was a new thought pattern. But obviously, you can only play sports for so long. And then when I went to seminary, I thought, okay, if I want to be a varsity pastor, not a JV pastor, I need to read white theologians, I need to preach white, I need to mimic white worship, and I need to have white people in my church. Otherwise, I will always be an inferior pastor. I will not be a varsity pastor. We will not have a true church. We'll just have like an okay church. And those strongholds needed to be demolished, and by the grace of God, they have. So much so that when it comes to my ethnicity, this is a gift that God has given to me because I'm made in his image. And it's not something that I have to be ashamed about, but I can be very proud about who I am in the person of Jesus Christ because he made me this way. You know what's fascinating? That's my personal life, right? Church-wide, there's a shift that has taken place over the past few years too. Do you know that pre-George Floyd, pre-George Floyd, one of the most frequent comments I used to hear is, love coming to exilic by so many Asian Americans. Like, I don't know if I want to be in a church that has so many Asian Americans. And implicitly they were saying or thinking, I need to be as white adjacent as possible because this is like the varsity church, right? No matter how good the preaching is, like if there's too many Asians, like I can't be associated with this kind of group. You know what's fascinating? Post-George Floyd, I haven't heard one person make a comment like that. And a lot of it is because of the racial journey that a lot of us have gone on from the sense of shame to the sense of being proud of who you are in the image of God because the strongholds finally are coming crashing down. And for a lot of people, they're realizing that I actually need one day a week that's safe for me where I don't have to code switch every single day of the week. I actually need a space like this. And so there's a shift that took place, but that shift couldn't have taken place without a stronghold, a racial stronghold coming down, into your, uh, down in your life. 
I can, I can give you more examples of this. In my 30s, I was insecure about my singleness because all my friends were getting married. I was like the last one that was still out there. I wasn't being invited to anything anymore. Everyone else was like having fun and like it was just me at home. Insecurities or strongholds about what am I doing with my life? <laughs> what direction am I heading in? Like, why am I having a quarter-life crisis? I thought it was supposed to be a midlife crisis. This stronghold over my life that needed to come crashing down. So that's me. I can go on and on. But let me turn the tables and ask you the same question. What are the negative strongholds, strongholds that are holding you prisoner and captive over your head? that need to come crashing down. Maybe it is the insecurity thing about being single. Maybe your stronghold is, unless I accomplish this particular thing, I'll never be a somebody, never. Maybe your stronghold is you did something in the past that you deeply regret. And that stronghold will not let you move forward with your future. So constantly carrying this sense of shame because of what you've done. And even though God has forgiven you, you can't forgive yourself. Maybe your stronghold is always having this mindset that the ball will never bounce my way. This is just my lot in life. And this sort of victim narrative that you're carrying with you. What are the negative strongholds that are holding you prisoner in your own head that are taking place in your life right now? A friend of mine, one of the most gifted and talented people that I know, uh, was applying for a job, and he was one of two finalists. And my friend did not get the job. And you know what he said to me? He said, you know what's so funny, Aaron? It's funny how old narratives always resurface. It's funny how old narratives always resurface. And I said to him, you're crazy. You're like one of the most gifted and talented people that I know. Like, why, why are you baptizing your imagination with this idea that you're not good enough or you'll always be second class or, or this is always the way that the ball is going to bounce? I was like, that's crazy talk. Like, you are one of the most gifted people that I know. But what I needed to do was to demolish that stronghold that was over him so that he could really be set free so that this negative thought wouldn't have uh, hold him captive. And unless we learn how to destroy these strongholds in our life or control this high ground, if we can't do this, our negative thoughts are going to control our life. Martin Luther, in explanation of the Lord's Prayer, Luther says this, you cannot prevent the birds from flying in the air over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. Do you have a nest in your hair? What kinds of nests do you have in your hair? Anxiety-ness, fear-ness, paranoia-ness, worry-ness, regret-ness. Do you have a nest in your hair? And what kinds of nests are they? How many nests do you have in your hair? Just because you think a thought, it doesn't mean it has to live rent-free in your head. Just because you feel a particular way, it doesn't mean that you have to think that feeling, especially if it's not a healthy thought or a gospel-centered thought. Pay attention to your inner monologue. What have your thoughts been telling you lately?
Because if you knew just how powerful your thoughts are, you would pay more attention to what you think about, but you would not only think more about what you think about, you would fight like hell to think about the right things. There are lots of weapons uh, at our arsenal, though, that we can use to demolish these strongholds, and I just want to mention two. The first weapon that we have is a weapon that's very powerful, but we rarely ever use. It's prayer. The second weapon is a weapon we often use, but we often misuse it, and that's our friends. So let me just talk about those two things that can help us actually demolish strongholds in our life. So prayer, you cannot think like God unless you think about God. Prayer helps us think about God. And last I checked, we are always the product of the people that we spend the most time with. Always. So if you're not spending any time with God, he's not going to rub off on you in positive ways. Prayer is one of the ways that we can think about God and therefore think more and more like God. Prayer literally and scientifically changes the way that we think. So one neuroscientist, Dr. Caroline Leaf, in her book, Switch on Your Brain, Dr. Leaf says this, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer, focus being key, right? So not just, dear God, thank you for this day. May this food nourish my body. Like not that kind of prayer, but like focused prayer. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Prayer literally renews our minds. And so when it comes to the battlefield in our minds, our battles are not one with our fists, but our battles are one with our knees. And I want to just flesh out how this can happen. Uh, so one person anonymous, uh, once said this, uh, once a man was asked, what did you gain by regularly praying to God? The man replied, nothing. But let me tell you what I lost. Anger, ego, greed, depression, insecurity, and fear of death. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is not gaining, but losing, which ultimately is the gain. And so when Paul says that we have divine power to demolish strongholds, that word power is one of my favorite Greek words, dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. So prayer is like a dynamite. It has explosive power to tear down strongholds that have a hold over our lives. Can I just share with you, and I'm not, I am not saying this to boast in any way, okay, but on average, I pray, I have to pray at least 30 minutes a day. And the reason why I say I'm not boasting when I say this is because I have friends that pray an hour to hour and a half per day. But I have to pray at least 30 minutes a day because I know how crazy my thoughts are. And prayer helps me focus and harness and be a sober mind on, on my true north, which is God. And quite frankly, if I don't pray at least 30 minutes a day for myself, my life is toast. My marriage is toast. My family's toast. Our church is toast. And I'm not going to let that happen. And so I have to pray at least 30 minutes a day. Pre before kids, it was 40. But afterwards, I don't sleep anymore. So. But I, I have to do this. And I'm willing to fight to do this. Because I know how sinful my thoughts are. But prayer always helps me align myself back to the true north. I cannot tell you how important prayer is for our lives. 
Because when we let our minds wander in bad ways, stuff that we don't want to think about, negative thoughts are going to wander in. So prayer gives us focus to demolish strongholds. But here's the second thing that we have, and that's friends. So if you take a look with me at verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. To take something captive is to bring something under control or submission. And what Paul is saying here is that we have to take our thoughts and bring it under submission or under control. If we don't control our thoughts, our thoughts are going to control us. And for the Corinthian church, their thoughts were running wild all over the place with these false gospels or false good news about Jesus. And so Paul is going to the church and he's saying, if you can't get a hold of your thoughts, I'm going to get a hold of them for you. If you can't control your thoughts, I'm going to help control them for you. If you can't submit uh, these negative thoughts, I'm going to help submit them for you. And this is the value of friendships and why we need the right kind of community in our lives. Okay, can I give you an example of this? I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever talked to another friend and you're talking about another friend and you're like, dude, I don't, I don't know what they're doing with their life. Like, I don't know why they're thinking this and the other person's like, yeah, man, like, I don't know what they're thinking. Like, they're, I don't know what they're thinking. They're not thinking straight. And so your friend goes, you should talk to them. And you're like, no, I don't want to do that. Why don't you go and talk to them? And then what ends up happening is that no one talks to that person, even though they're self-destructing their life. And the reason for that is because we would rather be liked than love the other person. We would rather risk that person shipwrecking their life than risk that person not loving us back which is a form of self-love, by the way. But true friends are willing to speak the truth in love to other people. Not just the truth in an unloving way or just loving without speaking the truth. But true friends will go up to you and say, dude, what's going on? And they will help other people change the way that they think and change the way that they live. Are you the kind of person that invites people into your life to speak into your life, or are you hyper-defensive? Because when you're hyper-defensive, people are not gonna feel the invitation or the permission to speak into your life. And you're robbing yourself of the freedom that you deserve. Or, on the flip side, are you the kind of friend that is so non-confrontational that you would just rather be liked rather than risking not being liked for the sake of your friend. Because I tell you what, true friends will risk even that. And that is what we ultimately see in the person of Jesus Christ, who speaks the truth and love to us. Because the truth of the matter is, every one of us have strongholds. You may not have murdered someone, but chances are a lot of us, we murder people in our heads all the time. You might not have committed adultery, but you do commit lust all the time in your head, which is a, another stronghold. You might not have stolen anything recently, but you do covet what other people have or the lives that they live. All of us are guilty of these strongholds that are in our life. But you know what? Jesus came as that friend, much like Paul to the Corinthian church. Jesus came as that true friend to demolish the strongholds in our life and to set the captives free. 
And what's so fascinating is that the weapon that Jesus used were not tanks and guns like people were expecting to overthrow the Roman, uh, Roman government, but the weapon that he used was the cross. The very weapon that killed him, he turned around and used it as a weapon to kill sin and death. The greatest soft power in history is the cross. This idea, this news that has impacted the lives of millions and billions of people for thousands and thousands of years, where it's almost an exercise in judo, where in judo you use someone's force against them. On the cross, Jesus uses that force that killed him, and he boomerangs it back to kill sin and death. And the reason why he did all of those things is because he was always thinking about you. He was always praying for you. And he was the friend that we all need that will help us demolish the strongholds in our life. Psalm 9 says that God is our refuge and our stronghold. He is not a stronghold that will imprison us, but protect us from the evil thoughts that we have in our heads. Let me just close with one last thing. I was talking with one of my friends this week who's a counselor, and she's done counseling for a very long time. And so we were just talking about counseling, and I said, so um, I know you're a full-time counselor, so how many hours per week do you work? You know, most of you work 50 to, some of you, 100 hours a week, right? She said, I work on average about 20 to 25 hours per week. I don't know if that includes paperwork or not. But she says, as a counselor, I only work about 20 to 25 hours a week because if I do any more, that's bad for my mental health. And so I said to her, so how do you, how do you get like, paid full time if you're only working 20 to 25 hours a week? And she said, this is why we have to charge such an exorbitant amount for our counseling sessions. Because, of, because we have to carry the burdens of other people. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, that, that makes sense, right? Because I do a lot of counseling, too. I was like, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then I thought about God, who also refers to himself as a wonderful counselor. And I think a part of what makes God such a wonderful counselor is his wisdom. But I also think that a part of what makes God a wonderful counselor is his bandwidth. God never says, I can't take on any more cases Like, I need a mental break from you guys. (laughs) You guys are killing me. He never says, I'm going to charge this month, this much for your session. He never says to the 8 billion of us, can you sign up for that wait list before you come and talk to me? He never says any of that, but his arms are open wide. He is an incredible counselor. If we would only go to him on our knees and seek his face. If you knew just how powerful your thoughts are, you would think more about what you think about. But you would not only think more about what you think about, but you would fight to think about the right things. And prayer and friends, two of the best weapons we have in our arsenal to redeem our thoughts and to demolish the strongholds over our life because you are not meant to live in captivity by your thoughts, but you are meant to live free. Let's pray. Lord, so many of us are robbing a life of freedom that we should have in you because our thoughts imprison us 
And we feel like we're in a maximum security prison where we can't be set free. These strongholds that are over our lives, Lord, would you demolish? As a community, may we help demolish these strongholds in other people's lives as well, out of love for the other people. Most of all, help us to be on our knees continuously, crying out that our thoughts would be your thoughts and our ways would be your ways because how we think shapes how we live. In your name I pray, amen.